Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And we're glad today that you've joined us for our online service. We're in a series called, What Would Jesus Actually Do? This is part two. And there was two cars stopped at a stoplight and the, the light turned green, but the man that was in front didn't notice. And so the woman who was behind him in the car started to get a little bit agitated, especially as she saw cars passing around them. And so she started pounding on her steering wheel and honking her horn, yelling at the man to move, yelling obscenities at him. And the man didn't move. And so the woman's going ballistic inside her car and she's ranting and raving and, and, and pounding on her steering wheel and, and, and flashing her lights. And then all of a sudden the light, the, the traffic light turns yellow. And the woman begins to blow her horn and screaming again and swearing at the man. And the man hears the commotion. He looks up, the light's yellow, and he accelerates through the intersection just as the light turns red. This woman's beside herself because she's still sitting there screaming in frustration as she misses her chance to get through the intersection. And she's, as she's in mid-rant and she's yelling things that, 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 that were not very, very kind, she see, hears a tap on her window. And she looks up and she's staring down the barrel of a gun of a very serious looking police officer. The police officer tells her to get out of the car and put her hands where he can see them. And she gets out of the car, she, she's, she's speechless. She, she complies, but she has no idea what's happening. And he tells her to put her hands on the hood and she takes, his, takes her hands and puts them behind her back and she handcuffs them and escorts her into the back of his police car. She's bewildered at this chain of events and to even ask any questions. And, and she's driven to the police station where she's fingerprinted, photographed, searched and booked, and then placed in a cell. Well, after a couple of hours, a police officer approaches the cell and opens the door for her. And she's escorted to the booking area where she sees the original officer waiting with her personal things. He hands her this bag of her things and says, I'm really sorry for this mistake. But you see, I pulled up behind your car and while you were blowing your horn and you were screaming all kinds of unfathomable things at the car in front of you. And then I noticed on the back of your car, you had a what would Jesus do license plate holder and a follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker and a little Jesus, uh, a Jesus fish chrome plated uh, emblem on your trunk. So naturally I, I had to assume you must have stolen that car. We're in this middle of this series called What Would Jesus Actually Do? And back in the 1990s, many people were wearing bracelets or had bumper stickers that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it was a reminder, if you're a follower of Jesus, that when it comes to a decision to just pause, ask in the same situation, in the same decision in front of me, what would Jesus do? Well, our series is called What Would Jesus Actually Do? And the reason that we named it that is because Many times, as Christians, we decide that we would do, and we convince ourselves that this is what Jesus would have done, even though it's what we would have wanted to do. And to make ourselves feel better, we, we look up some verses, and we take them out of context, and we back up what we would want to do, and we rationalize that that's what Jesus would have wanted to do. Now, on the most harmless end, when we do this, we end up rationalizing that Jesus would have signed off on a frivolous purchase that we want to make. But at the very worst, we tell ourselves that Jesus would endorse our hatred or slavery or some atrocious crime. I mean, we've seen God's name used for all kinds of things that look nothing like what Jesus would actually do. Maybe you've asked this question. 
but, but instead of Jesus, you've asked it about someone you look up to. Maybe it's in your job. Maybe, maybe you took over for someone in a role and they did an incredible job in that role before you. And then they mentored you to show you how to do an incredible job. And, and you get to a situation and you're not sure what to do and you think to yourself, what would they have done in this situation? Or, or maybe you had an incredible parent or parents <clears throat> and you find yourself in a situation with your kids and, and, and you have to make a decision and you start to think, what would my mom have done? What would my dad have done? And the only way that you can understand what they would have done was to deeply know them, to understand their values, understand their motives. In the same way, we can only understand what God in human form, Jesus, would do if we understand God's heart and study what Jesus actually did. And so we have to be careful. We need to understand that we were created in the image of God, not the other way around. But sometimes for our own personal gain, we tend to create God in the image of us. Here's an example. Think about what you picture Jesus to look like. What does he look like in your mind? A lot of times our, our mind kind of drifts to maybe the pictures maybe your grandma has on the wall. Or maybe you yourself have up on the wall. And Jesus, Jesus usually looks a little different than maybe he should. And Jesus often is, has this long, flowing, like, blondish-colored hair, blue eyes, and he looks like he was born in Scandinavia. We don't know what Jesus looked like, for sure. I mean, there was no photography, obviously, around at the time, but based on the fact that Jesus was born in the Middle East to a Middle Eastern Jewish mother, Jesus most likely had dark hair, dark eyes, and olive-colored skin. But we're not the only person to create Jesus in our likeness. In other cultures, Jesus was depicted differently with different physical features based on the culture in which the artist grew up in. The artists have created Jesus to their own likeness. You, you'll find Spanish Jesuses or Asian Jesuses, African Jesuses, Indian Jesuses, and, and on, on and on. But more importantly than the physical features of Jesus is the character of who he is. We can't afford to make Jesus in our own likeness so it's important to understand, what would Jesus actually do? Last week, we talked about forgiveness. We talked about how there's a weight of unforgiveness that you were never meant to carry with you. That Jesus wants, wants you to have freedom from your bitterness and your contempt. And Jesus didn't just say it, he did it. As he hung on a cross for your sin and my sin, he pleaded with the Father to forgive us for our sin. Today, we're going to talk about another principle, and if we can get a hold of this, it'll help us become more like Jesus. You ever been around someone who prays incredibly well? Like, incredibly elegant prayers? Like, like when they pray, you kind of open one eye and you start looking upwards because you're sure that heaven's coming down when they pray. And it, feels, it makes it feel like your prayers are not as significant. It, it seems like when you pray, it, it got, it, it, they're so simple. It, it, when they pray, God hears them, and, and, but in comparison, it seems like your prayers are kind of like that email that you sent, but you forgot a letter, and then you get that undeliverable return email that comes back, like, is God even hearing me? For some of you, prayer comes natural. You have no problem getting up in front of people and praying for a while or praying for over people. For others, you feel like your prayers just aren't that complex, like you need to dress them up a little bit. For you feel like people 
it, you feel like for some people, it's like when they show up at a party and they've got like a really nice gift and it's got all kinds of like flowing ribbon. And, and, and meanwhile, your prayer feels like someone coming to a party with their gift in a Walmart gift bag. Can I tell you, you were never meant to emulate anyone else, no matter how nice the wrapping seems to be. So let's look to Jesus to give guidance and direction. We want to pray like Jesus. We want to encounter God in the same fashion that Jesus did. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is speaking one time, and he's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this to them. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Some of you want to know what's God's will for your life? Here's a great start. Always be joyful. In other words, find joy in all circumstances and, and situations. And then never stop praying, which is hard. Because if you're honest, some of you have a hard time praying for five minutes without getting distracted. And now Paul is telling me this, never stop praying? What does that mean? Well, it means you're invited to be in constant communication with God. It can be described like this. My wife and I communicate throughout the day. And it's not, not necessarily I, I pick up the phone and I call her and talk with her for an hour. That's just not conducive when, when I'm working or she's working. But I, I will send her a, a quick text, quick Facebook message, a few times during the day. We just have this direct communication all day long, even if it's just for a few seconds at a time. And it might be, hey, here's something amazing that happened that I want to share with you. Or, or, or maybe it's just, hey, grab some barbecue sauce on the way home. But we, we just have a constant connection. That's the beauty of technology with kids. But both of my kids are out of the house now. And, and years ago, I mean, you might send your kid off to school and you don't hear from them for weeks and on end and, until they need some money. But I, I talk with my kids in short little snippets all day. I feel connected to them even though they're miles away. Even though they aren't home anymore. I remember a couple months ago I was out visiting with somebody at the church and and unbeknownst to me while I was during that visit the cell phone network in Ontario had went down and I had told Jen I'd be home at a certain time and uh but it was one of those visits it was one of those like really good visits where you're sitting and you're chatting and time just kind of slips away you don't even realize it and so as I go to my car and I'm about to call her and say hey listen I'm I'm coming home. I look and I notice I'm 45 minutes later already than when I, the time I said I'd be home at. And so I try to call, but I can't get a signal. So I pull over quick and I see if I can get a cell signal. I can't. And so I reboot my phone because I figure there's probably something wrong with my phone and nothing. Like I can't send a text. I can't make a phone call. I can't do anything. And I'm sure she's getting worried about it about it right now or about me i'm sure she's getting worried because you know maybe she's starting to imagine how come he's how come it's taking him so long and and uh it's frustrating it's frustrating because there's this weird feeling when you realize you're disconnected like you you were completely disconnected now my drive's only 20 minutes home it's not like the search party had to be called off but i'm i'm used to being in constant communication and it's slightly frustrating when that line of communication is broken God longs for you to be in constant contact with your prayer. If you imagine your prayers like phone calls, emails, text messages, it doesn't have to be a, always be a phone call, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. 
Sometimes it's just a short email, like a thank you note, or, or a quick text to check in. He just longs to be in constant communication with you. The problem is many times we only pray when we need something. We only pray when it becomes our last option. We do everything that we can in our own strength, and if nothing else works, then we pray. Prayer should always be our first response, not our last resort. That means you should pray over everything. Pray over tough decisions, pray over simple decisions, pray over people, pray over your conversations. As a pastor, there have been a few times where I've walked into a situation that I've been called to and I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. It usually involves grief and pain and something horrible has happened. But, and sometimes that car ride over to the situation is just const me constantly praying at that time. God, I don't, I don't have the words. I'm not sure what to say. God, go before me. God, give me the words to speak when I get there. But more importantly, let them sense your presence through me. See, prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. We need to be praying constantly and praying for people. There was a saying that was going around the internet a year ago, and I agree with it. It said, when people say praying for you, that was their prayer. Don't be most people. Right? You, you, someone, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'll be praying for you. I mean, they may not intend it, but most times I, would, I, I sense that maybe they're not praying for that person later. They, they intended to, or, or maybe it was just the easy way out. It's easy to comment on someone's situation. Somebody posts like they have a need on Facebook or they're, they're going through a rough time on, on social media and you just kind of comment praying. You'll see praying, 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 praying. And, or little emoji hands, praying. But then not pray. Rather than tell someone you will pray for them, pray right then. Pray right then. Prayer should be our first response. Why? Because if you watch the news at all, you'll understand the urgency. We have issues here in Canada, but there's a darkness all over this world right now. I mean, you just look around, just this week, news that North Korea is testing more missiles. In Africa, they have a local mayor arrested for having 440 pounds of cocaine in his trunk. Curfew imposed in, in Kenya after seven people were killed by militant extremists. These are stories that are, that are making headlines, never mind the stories that we don't hear, like the ones we had international justice mission with us just a few months ago, and they're fighting against human trafficking and slavery, stuff that we never hear about. This world can be a dark place. Why do we need to pray? Well, look at what God said in Second, Second Chronicles. He said, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. See, you and I have a role to play in the midst of, of the darkness. And it begins with prayer. So why don't we pray more? I think it's because it's hard. Because we're not quite sure what to say. or We're not quite sure if we're heard. and We don't know what to pray. I don't know about you, but even some of the prayers I was taught, like when you were learning how to pray, some of the prayers I was taught as a kid, were, they're kind of weird. Like here, here's a weird one. And it, I was taught as a kid, but and it's a very common prayer. Most of you probably have prayed, but here, here we go. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Good night, little one. Sleep tight.
Sleep tight. Nobody's sleeping after that creepy prayer. Like, if I should die before I wake up. I'm five years old. I didn't even consider I might not, I might die in the middle of my sleep until now. So even from a young age, prayer can be strange, unfamiliar. And that's why Jesus teaches us how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse one, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. As, so the disciples when they were kids, they would have learned from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they would have memorized prayers, prayers that they could recite. And so at times, I'm sure it felt like they would recite prayers, but maybe it felt like they were going through the motions a little bit, repeating something over and over that they were taught. And then they overhear Jesus praying. It's different. And it sounds like intimacy with God the Father. And so they wait until he's finished and they say to him, Jesus, what was that? How do we pray like that? And then Jesus gives them this model to pray. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer. If you grew up Catholic, it was, it was the our, our Father. And we find it in Luke chapter 11, but also in Matthew 6. And we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6 because that's what many of us learned as kids to memorize. And, and if you want, you can, you can say it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And it's a beautiful prayer. A prayer we prayed every day when I was a kid in public school. And it's a beautiful prayer to pray each day. However, that was not Jesus' intention. See, notice what he says in Luke chapter 11 before he delivers it. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. He didn't say, this is what you should pray. He says, this is how you should pray. Now, there's no harm in praying the Lord's Prayer as is. It's a beautiful prayer. But for some, that's the only prayer they know how to pray. And there are people, if you ask them to pray, they only know the Lord's Prayer word for word. So Jesus modeled for us this prayer as a model. This is how you should pray. So let me give you seven things we find in the Lord's Prayer that will help you pray and help you connect deeper with God. Number one, connect with God relationally. Our Father, which art in heaven. So many of us have this belief that we need to speak to God with large words and formality, like you're addressing your school principal or the Prime Minister of Canada. I have two kids, as I mentioned before, and they're now grown. And, but I still love it, even though they're grown. I still love it when they call me dad. That, that name is reserved for two people in this world, and it would be weird for them to hear them call me Sir or Mr. Hyde. Look what Romans 8.15 says about your Heavenly Father. Romans 8.15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful, slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. And this name, Abba Father, is a name that's used to describe God, but it's a name that's reserved for those that have put their faith in God. See, many people around the world refer to God or know the name of God, just like many of your neighborhood kids know your name, but only your kids get to call you daddy or mommy or dad or mom. It's reserved for that special relationship. And this name, Abba Father, means intimacy and trust. One of the, uh, one of the two other times we see this in the New Testament, this, this phrase, Abba Father, used, 
And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's crying out to God and he knows that the crucifixion is on the horizon. And, and ultimately he says, I want your will to be done, not mine. And he begins that, that address with this phrase, Abba Father. For a small child, Abba Father would be the same as saying, Daddy, I trust you. God loves when you come to him as a child. Number two, worship his name. Hallowed be thy name. Now again, hallowed is probably not a word that you use in your everyday weekly language, but it means holy, set apart. Now, holy is your name. And to understand this, we need to understand what God's name means. Let me teach it to you like this. God's our healer. God is our provider. God is our strength. He's our shepherd. He, he guides us in, down the right paths. He, God is my protection. And all these are names for God. And so when you call God by his name, it adds authority. It's like when we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? Because it adds authority to our prayer. For example, when they were younger, if I told Mason, hey, go upstairs and tell Janelle to clean her room. Mason runs upstairs and says, Janelle, clean your room. Guess what happens? Nothing. But if Mason runs upstairs and says, dad said, clean your room. Suddenly the room gets clean because there's now authority in the name. So if you're going to worship his name, you need to know his name and pray his names. Number three, pray his will first and foremost. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This thy is the primary word here, or your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, yours. See, many of us jump into our, our prayers like this. God, help me. God, I need this. God, I want this. <laughs> Fix this, God. Serve me, God. And then we feel guilty at the end. And then we say, oh, and by the way, can you bless some, some needy people or bless the children? And, Amen. But the majority is about us. But we need to begin with God's will, God's agenda. God, I want to see your kingdom expand. God, I want to see your church have influence over the culture. God, I care about the things that you care about. Matthew, 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. See, we're, caught, we're taught to care about the things that God cares about above all else. But then the language begins to shift. Now we can talk to God about our dependencies. Number four, depend on him for everything. Give us this day our daily bread. God, we need you. God, give me what I need today. The truth is, I don't like praying that way. You, you probably don't like praying that way either. We prefer Costco prayers. What are Costco prayers? Well, I'm glad you asked. Actually, it's a term I just made up this week. We want God to provide in bulk. I want you to fill my bank account uh, with lots of money so I don't have to come to you every time and depend on you each, each time I have a need. I want you to bless me in bulk so I don't need to think about coming to you for a long, long time. See, when I get home from Costco, the back of my vehicle is jammed and they don't give you bags, so you have to creatively put all these things in the back. It's almost like you're playing, Jang or playing Jenga or, or Tetris back there. But my daughter lives in Toronto right now. And she doesn't have her car with her, so she has to walk home with her groceries. And going to Costco just wouldn't work for her because her arms would be full with one of the giant jars of pickles. Because of how much she can handle or she can carry at a time, she has to go back to the store more, more often, maybe five, six times a week. That's what God wants from us. 
a dependence that we need to go back to him each day because he gives us our daily allowance of food or blessing or needs. See, if my freezer's full, I don't go back to the provider for months. I don't need to trust him each and every day. But if I trust each day he'll give me what I need, our relationship's deeper and richer. King David says it this way in Psalm 121.1. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, anytime you see this word mountains in scripture, unless it's describing a specific mountain like Mount Sinai, the word mountain usually means something other than mountain. It's a metaphor for something else. In this context that David, David means, I look up to the mountains, he's describing a leadership structure like government. As Canadians, we might say, I look up to the prime minister, I look up to parliament, I look up to Queen's Park. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help does not come from the mountains, from the government, our national leaders. I pray for them, I respect them, but my help comes from you, God. You're where my help comes from. Give us this day our daily bread. Number five, we have to get our hearts right. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We talked about this in depth last week, but we need to forgive others because we are forgiven people. We recognize that we've been forgiven of so much. And because we are forgiven, we have a responsibility to forgive or we risk becoming hypocrites. God cannot forgive us our debts if we are not willing to forgive our debtors. So as you pray this, God, ask God to search. Is there any unforgiveness in my heart? Is there anyone that I have not let off the hook? And then begin to pray into your future. God, I know there's going to be hurt or offense that's going to come in the future. But let me become someone who doesn't just, it doesn't hold, grasp, grab on to me, that doesn't hold on to me, that I'm someone who freely forgives because I am forgiven. Number six, we need to win the spiritual battles. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, temptation is going to come. It's going to come in different forms. You may be tempted to be greedy or, or get revenge or with lust or to join in on the gossip. And so you, you can pray God will give you wisdom, give you discernment, give you courage, give you the willpower to step around or step away from the things that can cause you to stumble. And if you understand that there's more that's happening around you than what you see, that there's a spiritual battle for your soul, you can pray against it. God, give me the strength. Allow me to put on the full armor of God to defend the work against the works of the enemy. And number seven, express faith in God's ability. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It means, God, I know you have this. I know you've got my back. You're big enough, you're strong enough, you're all-knowing, you're over everything and everyone. I trust you, God. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 32, 17. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and earth by your strong and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. What's too hard for God? Nothing. And Jesus says, this is how you pray. Not necessarily what you pray, but everything you need to pray is covered in this prayer. Some of you struggle with prayer. You're not sure how to pray, how long to pray, what to say. Here's your challenge this week. Take this template that Jesus has given you. Take 10 minutes each day and pray through the Lord's Prayer. Do this until we meet in seven days from now. Call on God. Worship his name. Tell him what he means to you. Tell him the things, or to pray for the things that God cares about. 
your will, God, not mine. And thank him that he takes care of your daily needs. And tell him it is what it is that you do need. And then ask God to help you win in the battle of the things that, that hurt you, that tempt you, that trip you up. And then let God know that you trust him. You know he can do all things. In Jesus' name, there's that authority. Amen.